So who wants to join me in welcoming the Sacramento Kings home at the airport? A successful road trip for the Kings. They sneak out of Houston with a closer victory than we would have liked, but it's a victory nonetheless. And no one deserves a hero's welcome more than Keegan Murray, the rookie who continues to make veteran winning plays. You're listening to Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season long today. Presented by Prize Picks. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 by using promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News, and I'm trying to get the heart rate down. It's not helping that I'm very excited to record this podcast tonight because after a ho-hum first half where the Sacramento Kings were slightly trailing and I was looking at this game going, what in the world do I talk about for half an hour? We got a wild finish in Houston. Now, remember what I said after the most recent Locked on Kings podcast a couple nights ago when the Kings beat the Houston Rockets comfortably by 20 points. I said, the Kings still need to handle their business in the final game. It doesn't matter how they win. They just got to get the win. Well, many could say the Sacramento Kings didn't necessarily deserve to win this game. But regardless, the final score is in the favor of Sacramento. And a constant theme of tonight's podcast is going to be the Kings continue to find ways to win games despite certain things not going their way. That's what good teams do. That's what playoff teams do. And you're going to hear me bring that up consistently over the course of this podcast. But let's talk about that wild finish in Houston. First and foremost, after uh, the jump ball, and we're going to talk about what led to the jump ball and the great play by Keegan Murray. Keegan wins the jump ball. It is a loose ball, and it looks like, to me, the ball went out off of Eric Gordon. We saw a bunch of replays at it. It didn't matter because the league wasn't really reviewing it, or at least from what I could tell, they weren't reviewing it. It was deemed Rockets ball. It didn't end up mattering as much as it could have. It would have been one of those things that we uh, impatiently waited for the last two-minute report to confirm our worst fears or make ourselves feel even more disgusted by maybe another call at the end costing the Sacramento Kings when it should have been the other way. Regardless, it didn't end up mattering that much, I will say, too. Maybe there could have been a call on De'Aaron Fox for going over the back of uh, Eric Gordon trying to secure that loose ball. Regardless, the Houston Rockets have to inbound the ball. Uh, they're fouled with a little less than uh, two seconds remaining. It was the first of the Kings' two fouls in the final uh, two minutes. So the Kings have to foul again in order to send the Rockets to the free throw line. Well, it ended up working in the Kings' favor as the Rockets just throw the ball to Malik Monk. He comes up with an incredibly clutch steal. And then on the other end of the floor, the Kings trying to get the game winner. They're only down by one. They only needed a two-point basket. They could only really get a look for De'Aaron Fox on the perimeter. He takes that three. He misses it pretty significantly. The buzzer sounds, and we see the ref's arm up like this, signaling the foul call. It was a foul on Eric Gordon. Now, De'Aaron Fox, I think, sold it a little bit. There's no problem with that. De'Aaron Fox did what he had to do as a shooter. He flailed a little bit to make it look a little more egregious than it was. But regardless, 
I think the last two-minute report, not that it matters because that's useless, but the last two-minute report should confirm that it was a foul on Eric Gordon. He hit him with the hip right, right into Fox's body, did not give him an area to land. There was contact made, so by my understanding of the rule, it is a foul, and De'Aaron Fox steps to the free-throw line and buries all three free throws. The first one took a couple bounces on the rim, stressed us out a little bit, but did fall in to tie the game. He hit the second one to give the Kings the lead with less than a second remaining. And then the third one, it looked like De'Aaron was maybe trying to intentionally miss it. He shot much high, uh, more of a hierarching free throw uh, than he usually does, but he still made it. Doesn't matter. Kings win by two, 130 to 128. And before we move on from that wild finish, I don't want to just brush under the rug the fact that Fox made those final three free throws. The progression of De'Aaron Fox over the course of his career, we can point to a bunch of different areas, right? Uh, we can point to his ability as a playmaker, point to him using his speed significantly, uh, or he's more uh, smart or cerebral with how he uses his speed instead of just relying on that quickness and sometimes being a little out of control. He uses that burst to get by defenders, get to his favorite spots on the floor, and then hit his shots. Of course, his development uh, as a clutch scorer, which he's really shown off uh, here at this point in the season. But De'Aaron's development as a free throw shooter has been incredibly significant. Something that we can't just brush under the rug and something that we don't just want to accept as, oh, it's what he should be doing. I understand De'Aaron Fox should be hitting the majority of his free throws, right? Should be shooting better than he has over the course of his career. This season, he's shooting 78% from the free throw line. You would like to see that, of course, get to the 80s, but 78% as of right now is a career high for free throws for De'Aaron. But still, for him to step to the line on the road in a crucial situation and to bury all three free throws, it's not just what stars do. Sure, we expect it, but we also, I think, should appreciate and recognize how De'Aaron has improved as a free throw shooter over the course of his career, where he went from someone where sometimes it was a flip of a coin and he could miss a handful in a row, especially with how the Kings this season have sometimes gone ice cold from the free throw line. Fox has been fairly consistent all season long. And here he is turning into this player that the Kings can rely on, that fans can rely on when he steps to the line at crucial moments at the end of games. All right, I can't, I can't put it off any longer. You know how big of a Keegan Murray fan I am. If you've listened to the Locked on Kings podcast since the summertime, uh, before the draft, when the Kings moved up in the draft, even before uh, the, the draft lottery, I've been talking about how much I love Keegan Murray, right? I just think Keegan Murray was the perfect pick for the Sacramento Kings, was thrilled when the Kings were in a position to be actually or actually able to, to draft him. Uh, I understood the debate of like the athleticism and the kind of pizzazz and the flair of Jaden Ivey versus Keegan being kind of more of a, a fundam, uh, fundamental player, a little less flashy, a little less exciting. Maybe Jaden Ivey having the higher ceiling uh, than Keegan Murray. We went through that entire thing, and I was consistent throughout the entire thing telling you Keegan Murray is the right pick for the Sacramento Kings, and he continues to prove it time and time and time again. This is over the final three minutes and 41 seconds of this game, okay? First off, Keegan Murray forces a steal, then in transition, hits a pull-up runner three-pointer. That three gave him the new record for three-pointers made by a Kings rookie. It was 129 by Bogdan Bogdanovich. He tied that, I think, in the second quarter, and then he broke it in the fourth quarter. And yeah, we haven't even reached the All-Star break yet. So he's not only the new record holder, he's going to set a significant gap between him and Bogey in number two. Then... He draws a charge on a Rockets fast break. Had the Rockets converted on that fast break, they would have gone up by five points with less than a minute remaining. 
So two offensive rebounds, or sorry, after he draws that charge, uh, he gets two offensive rebounds and kind of the scramble towards the end of the game where uh, DeMontis Sabonis misses a shot at the rim. Keegan did have a tip opportunity, missed that shot, secured another rebound, and then he was blocked, which led to the jump ball call. Then he gets into the jump ball and he wins the tip. So right there, we're talking one, two, three, four, five winning plays in the final three minutes and 41 seconds of the game. Can we please recognize Keegan Murray for what he is? He is a rookie that is doing what no other rookie in this class can do. And I know I've talked about this before and I will continue to say it. This is why the Sacramento Kings selected Keegan. He is the perfect selection and the perfect starter as a rookie on a team with playoff expectations. There is not another rookie that includes Paolo Bancaro that would come in here to Sacramento and do what Keegan Murray is doing. And you cannot take what Paolo is doing in, uh, uh, in uh, where the hell is he? Uh, Orlando. Thank you, Brain. Uh, or you cannot take what Benedict Matherin is doing off of the bench in Indiana and just plug it into Sacramento and say it would be the exact, uh, the exact same. It wouldn't. Keegan fits perfectly with the stars of the Sacramento Kings. He is a one of the best shooters in the league, already the best shooter in terms of three points made by a rookie in Sacramento Kings franchise history. And he makes high basketball IQ winning plays night in and night out. These are plays that you typically see team or players take three to four years in the league to understand how to draw charges at the end of games, getting in the right position, making the right choice, that split second decision, winning jump balls, competing on the offensive glass to get two different offensive rebounds, hitting a clutch transition three. This is what Keegan Murray does for the Sacramento Kings. Put some respect on his name because this should be impactful in the Rookie of the Year voting and it will not be compared to the numbers that Paolo Bancaro is putting up. And that's fine. Paolo Bancaro can win Rookie of the Year and you know what? He deserves it. That's totally fine. I think he's running away with that award. He's putting up excellent numbers in Orlando and the Magic should be thrilled with what he's doing there. But what I'm saying is there is not another rookie in this class that impacts winning basketball like Keegan Murray does. And if he can do this right now as a rookie... Imagine what he's going to be able to do three, four years down the road. And on top of that, too, Keegan is already making these fundamental winning plays as a rookie. And yet, Mike Brown and the Sacramento Kings are asking for more from him. They're asking for more. Better weak side defense. He has to get better on the defensive end. Better rebounding. And look, here he is on the offensive glass with two clutch rebounds that help the Kings ultimately win this game. A rookie is doing this. Monty McNair hit this draft pick out of the freaking park out of the park. It's 100% the right pick. It will not be the wrong pick. And I'll tell you this, Keegan Murray is going to be looked at as one of the best draft picks in Sacramento Kings history. And it's not going to take long for him to get there. We're not going to have to wait to the end of Keegan Murray's career to go. That was one of the best draft picks in Kings history. He's going to be up there with the DeMarcus Cousins, up there with the De'Aaron Fox, up there with the Peja Stoyakovich by the time his career is said and done. But I don't think it's going to take long for that to become the consensus opinion. I think two, three, four years from now, it's going to be the belief, not just amongst the Sacramento Kings fan base, but amongst NBA circles that Keegan Murray is one of the best Kings draft picks ever. He's doing this as a rookie. If the Kings accomplish their goal when they drafted him, which is secure him and make him a King and a King starter for basically his entire career for the next 10 to 15 years, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Sacramento Kings of all time. I'm very confident in my ability to say that. 
Love what Keegan Murray brings. He's absolutely the perfect rookie for this team. The perfect rookie for this team. All right. Let's talk about this road trip from a team perspective, right? Think about what the Kings went through over the course of this road trip. Missing De'Aaron Fox for a couple of games, right? Dealing with their horrendous three-point shooting. The Kings shot 81 of 241 from the three-point line over this seven-game road trip. That's 33%. And yet, they finish four and three over these seven games, and they are now a still Western Conference best 15 and 12, excuse me, 15 and 12 on the road. Honestly, I haven't even looked at the Eastern Conference. That might be the best in the NBA. I'm not entirely sure. But it, it probably isn't, knowing the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics and how good they are. But at least in the West, we know for sure the Kings have the best road record. The closest second is, I think the Clippers are two games over 500 on the road. What this tells me, the fact that the Sacramento Kings can have this kind of success, not just while missing their star, which granted the two games that they were missing their star in De'Aaron Fox, they lost both of those games. What this tells me is that this Kings team is learning how to win games when things aren't necessarily going great for them in their primary skill. We know how good of an offensive team, especially from three-point range, this Kings team is. We know how prolific they are from three-point range and how they can quickly either close a gap or build a lead with their three-point shooting. Kevin Herter has struggled this entire time, with the exception of Keegan Murray hitting a couple big threes tonight uh, and having his 30-point game the other night in Houston. Keegan Murray has struggled from three-point range. Harrison Barnes has struggled from three-point range a little bit. The Kings as a whole, as as this stat that I just read for you shares uh, or shows, they have been struggling from three-point range on this road trip. One of their primary skills not going right for them, and yet they can still win the majority of their games on the road. What does that tell you? The Sacramento Kings do what good teams do in this league. They figure out ways to win when not everything is going perfect for them. How many times do the Sacramento Kings need to prove that they are a playoff team? Of course, the main way to prove it is getting to the end of the season while being in the playoffs. But I guess a better way to phrase the question is, how many times do the Sacramento Kings need to prove that they're they're where they belong? They're not in the third seed as a fluke, as a team that is just on an incredible high and is a Cinderella story and and is, is likely to fall off at any moment. No, the Kings continue to show in many different ways that they are capable of winning basketball games and doing what it takes to maintain their position. I talked a lot about how this Kings team has not lost more than uh, two straight games in a row since November. They have a three-game losing streak in November. They had a four-game losing streak to start the season. That's it. Every other time, it's been two games in a row or less, and the Kings have always responded. So whether it's them responding on the road or at home when they need to, them winning games and finding out how to win a majority of their games when they go ice cold from three-point range over a seven-game road trip. And remember the six-game road trip earlier this season when the Kings went three and three and the adversity that they faced during that road trip too. This team continues to show that they can and will win. That is something that not only have I never gotten to really say and talk about over the course of the time that I've been covering the Sacramento Kings, that's something that we have not seen truly since the early 2000s. When the Sacramento Kings won a majority of their games and they were so stacked with talent and so damn good that even when one guy was having an off night, another six of them did so well that it didn't really matter. 
Chris Webber could have a bad night. Chris Webber could go down with injury for as long as he did, and yet the Sacramento Kings were still one of the best teams in the league and best teams in the Western Conference. I'm not saying the Kings are there yet. I'm saying that's the last time we've seen a team consistently being able to overcome adversity as the Sacramento Kings have this season. And we're going to talk about the trade deadline later in the show because the trade deadline is at noon tomorrow. And there are a lot of Kings fans that want the Kings to make some moves and maybe Monty McNair will. He already did make one small move that I haven't gotten the chance to talk about yet that I will talk about on tonight's podcast. But where this roster is at as it's constructed right now, they belong here. So maybe all Monty McNair is looking to do is get the moves that secure their place and cement them as a top three, top four seed in the Western Conference. Look, you want to talk about how close the teams are behind them? That's fine. Clippers right on their heels. Mavericks are going to come in for two massive games this weekend. We're going to get to see Kyrie and Luka together for the first time, according to reports. Like, these are massive games, sure. But we, if we're going to talk about and we're going to acknowledge that the Kings are only four or five games from dropping into the play-in picture, then we also have to acknowledge that the Kings are only two, three games, I think less than that now, back of the Memphis Grizzlies in the second seed. Forget about the Nuggets at number one. They're up there. They're not going anywhere. I mean, why can't we talk about that too? You got to look at it both ways. The Kings belong just as much in the conversation for snatching two as they do falling down to eight, nine, or 10. Feel very confident in saying that. Great win tonight. Stressful as all hell win tonight. But the Kings are a good team. They continue to find ways to win. They continue to overcome adversity, whether it's ugly or it's pretty whether they're raining threes or couldn't hit a shot, the Kings are winning the majority of their games still through it all, and that should excite Sacramento Kings fans. This episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Built Bars. And if you've made it this far into your New Year's resolutions of eating healthy or losing weight or maybe putting on some muscle and packing in that protein that you need, congratulations, you made it through the hardest part. But it's still, I mean, you still got 10 more months plus February, 11 more months to go, right? Allow Built Bar to help be your rock to keep you on the right track all year long. Built products are amazing, whether it's their Built Protein Bars that they're known for, their Built Granola Bars, or their protein-infused marshmallow puffs. They help satisfy that sweet tooth that Built doesn't believe you have to get rid of in order to accomplish your fitness or health goals of just eating better and giving your body the nutrients that you need. And how does it replace those sweet treats? Well, not only are their flavor profiles amazing like churro or brownie batter or my favorite mint chocolate chip, they're covered in 100% chocolate. All this sweetness that can rival or sometimes replace and beat out candy bars, and yet we're talking only 130 calories per bar, four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. Yeah, these things are the real deal, and you can get them right now at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Go to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box, give them a try, and when you know the flavors that you want, go to Built.com. You can order your own custom boxes there. Give Built Bars a try. You won't be disappointed. Hey, shout out to the Sacramento Kings bench tonight. They made so many important plays. I didn't even bring up Harrison Barnes, too. I know he's a starter. Harrison Barnes, in my opinion, is one of the MVPs of the night for the Kings. He made so many big shots and important parts of this game. But if I'm going to give Harrison Barnes the credit that he deserves as a starter, you're damn right I'm giving the Kings bench as a whole and then individuals on the Kings bench the credit that they deserve. There was a crucial stretch in this game. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis about midway through the third quarter, picked up his fifth foul. He picked up his fourth early in the third quarter. The Kings elected to stick with him, to stick to their rotations, took De'Aaron Fox out to get him the rest he needed for a long fourth quarter. And DeMontis Sabonis picks up his fifth foul. So, for a 
three minute and 46 second stretch at the end of the third quarter, essentially closing out the third quarter. De'Aaron Fox came back in for the last possession with like eight seconds left or something like that. A three minute 46 stretch where the Kings are without De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Now keep in mind, Jalen Green, who scored more than 40 points tonight, he was on the floor. So this was a stretch that could make or break the game. And we know how much the Kings typically struggle when both of those stars are not in the game. The Kings won that stretch 16-11. to 11. A 3-minute, 46-second stretch where it's just the Kings bench in there. 16-11, to 11, they win that stretch. Davion Mitchell, I gave him love for the game that he had, game one in Houston, coming off the bench. Got to give him more love tonight. During that stretch, he had a big three and then also had a layup at the rim. Uh, he scored five points during that stretch to help get the Kings going. Also uh, had some crucial defensive plays like we can expect from off night. As a whole, uh, Davion Mitchell finished with nine points, five assists, one steal. That is the winning plays Davion Mitchell. We talk about all the winning plays that Keegan Murray makes and how important that is to the team. When you're getting these kind of winning plays, even if it's not in crunch time of a close game, but it's over the course of a four-quarter game, you're getting these plays from Davion Mitchell. I'm telling you, it exponentially increases the Kings' likelihood of winning. This value from Davion off the bench doesn't always show up in, this, in the stat column. His box score was much better tonight than it was last night, but I would put these two games on an even tier. Davion Mitchell was crucial in both of these wins in Houston. Played a massive part. He's definitely more comfortable in his bench role. We still want to see more, especially offensively. He still needs to put up better numbers overall, so we're not excusing the struggles that he had as a starter and the struggles that he's had of finding his fit in the offense consistently. But this is a high-impact in low minutes, Davion Mitchell, that this team should be able to rely on every night. And when they have this off the bench, even if it is in small stretches when De'Aaron Fox is getting a breather, the Kings are all the stronger for it. Of course, Malik Monk, 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, had the game-winning steal, essentially the game-winning steal, uh, to, to give the Kings a chance to win this game, which, of course, they ultimately did at the end. Malik Monk, over the last handful of games, but really this entire road trip has really come alive for the Kings. And he has been in a slump. January was not a good month for Malik Monk. And we saw earlier on in the season when the Kings were on their seven-game winning streak how important uh, Keegan was to the Kings at that time and how much of an energizer Bunny was off the bench and how much he impacts games and gets the Kings crowd involved at home. Well, here is Malik Monk becoming a rock for the Kings on the road, a reliable scoring threat and someone who, especially in the games when De'Aaron Fox was out, even though the Kings lost both those games, Malik Monk was the guy shouldering the load and taking on the, uh, I would say the majority, the vast majority of responsibilities that De'Aaron Fox has. And in addition to that, even when Fox and Monk are sharing the floor together like they tend to do uh, during stretches of the game, with DeMontis Sabonis out, Malik Monk even takes some of the responsibilities of DeMontis Sabonis as a facilitator, finding his teammates and playing off of De'Aaron Fox and giving De'Aaron the opportunities that he gets attacking the basket or the space that he needs in and around the basket. Malik Monk is essential to the success of the Sacramento Kings. And while I think the Stretches where he's gone really cold will significantly impact his chances of winning sixth man of the year. If there, I mean, sixth man of the year to me means importance. Someone who is a difference maker, even though he's not in the primary starting five. Someone who sometimes comes in and makes the team even better. You think about the Jamal Crawford teams with the Los Angeles Clippers, right? Jamal Crawford came in off the bench and essentially made the Clippers way better than they were with their starting five. But that was his role. Manu Ginobili with the San Antonio Spurs, right? That's already a great team. Manu Ginobili comes in uh, and is a complete game changer. Made a career out of doing stuff like that. 
I mean, Jason Terry even to some extent, although I know he's not the most popular name here in Sacramento. That's what I think about when I think of six men. And when Malik Monk is on, this team is as close to the best that they can be. And when Malik Monk is off, even if De'Aaron and Sabonis and Kevin Herter and other guys are doing enough for the Kings to win, they, uh, they, there's, a significant, there's something significant that's missing. You could just see and you can feel with the energy of the way the Kings play. When Malik Monk is not being as impactful as he's been over this road trip, the Kings really miss that. It's great to see Malik Monk getting going, and I hope that carries into these two games against the Dallas Mavericks. I have a feeling the Kings are going to need that high-energy Malik Monk if they want to have success in those two games. Also, got to talk about Terrence Davis, too. He went from being out of the rotation to now being one of the guys that, uh, that um, Mike Brown has been going to actually pretty quickly. Terrence Davis had 10 points tonight, but a very efficient 4-7 shooting from the field, 2-3 of three from three-point range. We know he's a microwave scorer. We know he can go off at any moment. You give me this from Terrence Davis off the bench in, in limited minutes on a nightly basis, can't ask for more than that. Also, he's not a, he's not a bench player, but I do have to give a shout-out to DeMontis Sabonis, right? Because I mentioned earlier him picking up his, his fifth foul uh, about, like, it was over the six-minute mark in, the, in, the, in the, the third quarter. So he sat out for over a 12-minute stretch, or almost a 12-minute stretch. Yeah, almost a 12-minute stretch. He sat out from the rest of the third quarter and early on in the fourth quarter. But he still came in with 8 minutes and 33 seconds to play. He finished out the game. Didn't pick up that sixth foul. And believe me, Alperin Shangun and, and the rest of them, they were going right at Sabonis, trying to get him to pick up that sixth foul. He still played physical. He was still impactful on both ends around the paint and around the rim and didn't pick up that sixth foul. That's a credit to DeMontis Sabonis and the high basketball IQ that he has. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the number one way to play daily fantasy sports, especially daily fantasy basketball. And I'll tell you how it works. You pick two to five players, or I'm sorry, two to six players, and if they will uh, score more or less than their Prize Picks projection that night. So, for example, I don't know exactly what the number was, but maybe De'Aaron Fox was uh, a plus, or he was plus minus 16 and a half points per game tonight. Well, that's a pretty easy bet. For De'Aaron, you take the over, uh, you win that. Maybe Malik Monk was uh, at 14 and a half. Well, you take the over, then Malik Monk covered for you. Um, you pick, again, two to six players like that, and you can win up to 25 times your entry. And here's the best part. You don't have to worry about taking on those sharks that are on these uh, these dual sites and, and things like that that uh, pit you against these guys who, this is how they make their money. They do this for a living when you're just doing it as a hobby and they take your money. You don't have to worry about that. It's just you versus the prize picks projections. And they offer projections on any sport, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, uh, college sports like basketball, football, uh, men's and women's, uh, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. They offer safe and fast withdrawals and are currently operational in over 30 states or Canada. If you sign up right now, use our promo code Locked On. you can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100. So you deposit $100, you get $100. You deposit $50, you get $50. It's free money to help you make money on prize picks. All right, let's talk about the trade deadline a little bit before we wrap up. Noon tomorrow. So you're uh, not going to have to wait long for the next episode 
of Locked on Kings. I'm going to be joined by uh, Sacktown Sports 1140's Chris Watkins. He's going to join me. Uh, we'll record after the trade deadline is over. Release that a little bit later in the afternoon. Not going to be doing a live show because of other media obligations that I have. So it will not be live, but it will be a trade deadline reaction show coming uh, early to mid-afternoon uh, tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. The Kings have already made a move since we last recorded Locked on Kings. A very minor move. Uh, they acquired Kessler Edwards from the Brooklyn Nets. Essentially, they used one of their TPEs, which was like a $1.6 or $1.7 million um, trade exception. Uh, and by using this trade exception, they can absorb uh, Kessler Edwards into their salary cap without having to send any money out. The only thing they gave uh, the Brooklyn Nets were the draft rights to a player. I didn't even write his name down. A player that probably none of you have ever heard of. They had his rights drafted him a while ago, whatever. They, they lose that. They get Kessler Edwards. People are like, what should we think of this young man? He's 22 years old. He's six foot seven, six foot eight. He's a defensive wing that is a close to or like high 30s career three-point shooter in his time in the G League, averaging like 16 points per game in the G League. So essentially, you've heard of low-risk, high-reward moves, right? He's a no-risk, potentially high-reward. And the high-reward is a consistent... A rotational piece and consistent Kings defensive player. The Kings need wing depth and they of course need defensive depth. I don't know if Kessler Edwards will ever step on the floor for the Sacramento Kings this season other than garbage time. I have no idea, but they took a flyer on a young man that fits at least age timeline wise with the rest of the Sacramento Kings core uh, is doing. They allow him to um, be in their system, see if he can continue to develop into a rotational defensive option that this Kings team needs, can theoretically space the floor a little bit better than maybe someone like KZ Akpala can. So we'll see if it works out. If not, if we never discuss it beyond tonight, that's fine. It's whatever. It costs the Kings next to nothing. But again, if the Kings make any more moves, which I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, wouldn't be surprised if they do. I trust Monty McNair completely. Whatever that happens, we will do a trade deadline show reacting to whatever the Kings do and reacting to what everybody does around the league. And maybe the biggest move of the day already happened, which was the three-team deal that happened today between the Lakers, Timberwolves, and Jazz. Touching on that really quick, the Lakers get D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, Russell Westbrook and a 2017, I think, first-round pick go to Utah. Russ is expected to be bought out, and it sounds like Chicago and the Clippers, the Chicago Bulls and L.A. Clippers, are both interested in picking him up. And then Mike Conley Jr. and second-rounders go to the Timberwolves. Uh, the only thing I have to think about this is why do general managers continue to help the Lakers? Like, I, I made a joke about this on Twitter, but it's almost the same thing for you NBA 2K, my GM, or my league fans. Being the Lakers general manager is like having that trade machine or that trade finder on, and you'll just find a deal that a team will automatically accept that's somehow a way better deal than you deserve. I don't know why the Lakers just get deals like this to happen because they're the Lakers. I understand that Danny Ainge and the Utah Jazz are continuing to compile draft assets. I don't know why they felt the need to give up this much for a, like, 2017 or later first round pick that they got from the Lakers, but whatever. I mean, the Jazz are bowing out essentially, fine by me. The Lakers have a lot of ground to make up, so I'm not too worried about them. Plus, the Kings don't play the Lakers anymore this season, so it's going to be hard for them to make up the gap, and the Kings have the tiebreak against the Lakers, so I'm not really concerned from a Kings perspective. And the Timberwolves, I like Mike Conley, so maybe he's better in Utah. I'm sorry, in Minnesota. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's a it's a, the most confusing part of this trade is why the Lakers continue to get deals like this when they're in such a horrible position roster-wise and cap-wise 
but they can still somehow find a way to wiggle their way out of it. I have no idea, but again, similar to the, uh, the move to bring Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks, it doesn't really concern me any more than I was concerned before the, uh, the trades were made. So trade deadline show coming tomorrow. I hope you will join me for that. I want to hear your thoughts on tonight's game, your thoughts on Keegan Murray, De'Aaron Fox, your thoughts on uh, the Kings bench, Malik Monk. Like, send them to me. Let's talk about it. I know you have reactions to tonight's win and your final either predictions or requests for the trade deadline. Send them to uh, those to me at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter. Email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Appreciate your support as always. Can't wait to have you join me tomorrow. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.